So, now I know what George from Seinfeld sounds like when he wants to fuck a goat. Okay, I'm, recor I'm recording now. I can see the little lines now. I can't see the recording. So it just stops. Well, I'm not going to repeat my great George from Seinfeld bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want to do 410? Yeah. No, we must be synced, right? Oh, but the syncing isn't on your Sync. record, so it doesn't matter. Okay, no. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Direct-to-Video VHS? VHS. A podcast where we repair movies like fine wine. I am your host, Tony Robusto. I am your host, Andy Reyes. This, um... This week doesn't sound right. This episode, there we go. This episode, we watched Hunchback of Notre Dame, a movie that I thought I hated. I'm actually pretty sure slaps. I think, I think I like this movie, mm -hmm. but it comes like there's a lot of asterisks <laughs> following that oh, statement. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, so first, I do want to say this. Because I started getting into it. There is no content warning on this movie on Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, not for, like, racial stuff. And it's not like a racist movie, but it depicts racism. Yes. And it depicts racism in a really human way that makes it way more uncomfortable than how Pocahontas depicts racism, for instance. Uh, because it is much more grounded in, like, these characters particularly the villain, when he's racist, he feels like how a human, a normal human is racist. And it's kind of uh, unsettling. Uh, the other thing is, there is like not a little bit of murder in this movie, and it is rated G, and there's not even like a second for, for like Disney Plus to be like, maybe don't plop your kid in front of this one without watching them. I, I do think it's wild that there it, it doesn't even have the dumb little like historical content warning that Disney right. does. Like and that's you bananas. Know what? This one would be pretty good for a historical content warning because this one actually is supposed to be historical. I, I like flip flop back and forth because on the one hand, like you're right, that this is a movie that I think really approaches like racism and genocide freaking like they don't say the word genocide but they no. literally depict genocide and have the villain basically say what i want to do is kill them all mm -hmm. uh, and it's so like it's so much for my children's movie <laughs> It's rated G. It's not even a PG rated movie. Somebody dies immediately very violently. It's 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 pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. Um it's like again, all of this happened like within the first three minutes, we get we just get it all. Like it all hits you at once, and it's like this is what this movie's gonna be. I, I feel like Pocahontas has a lot of controversy behind it because it's like it's just at the end of the day, it's a movie that like not every person who identifies like 
as indigenous or as a member of a tribe can really support. Okay, so here's I I, I want to give, and this is a white guy's opinion. Yeah. Uh, so you know, grain of salt. I want to give really quick my issues with Pocahontas. One, Pocahontas was a real person, which yes. automatically makes us fucked up. It's just it's such a weird thing to do to a real person. <laughs> Two, they have this message in Pocahontas of like not judging other people and then as they have that they have this native american girl talk to a tree uh, like mm-hmm. like they just don't it's like pocahontas was made in this weird time where we were getting more accepting of accepting of native american people and wanted to have a movie about it but yeah. we're not good at not being racist yet and that's and that's the thing is is i would say pocahontas is a racist movie I don't think Hunchback is a racist movie. No, I don't think so. Um, partially because it's be, partially because it's so much more fictionalized. Yes, like this is a version of a world instead of having to be like the real world, like Pocahontas mm. is. But 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 at the same time, I do think that the Hunchback of Notre Dame is is a little misguided in some places. But I don't think it's its fault. I think it's it's entirely the fault of this being a movie for children. Um, and, and and why (laughs) actually that's going to be my main takeaway from this whole thing is like, why is this a movie for children? It is a gorgeous movie. It's so sounds amazing. The plot is so great. Why is it for kids? I, I have some issues with like some of the writing choices, but overall I have issues with, there are like three to four characters where I kept being like, wait, why, what is this character doing? Why is this like this? Yeah. Um, but, but if this movie, basically, if this movie didn't have the gargoyles in it, I could love hating it the way I love hating Beauty and the Beast. Like mm-hmm. how we spent like six hours talking about all the faults in Beauty and the Beast because like that was so interesting to dig down into. But for me, the gargoyles bring the whole thing so far down that it's just this, like, I can't. This, the, the, the gargoyles and the slapstick comedy in this movie, I think, really I was okay grind. with all the slapstick comedy. It's okay, but it, it, I think it really grinds a lot of the plot to the halt when it's like... When Quasimodo kicks uh, Phoebus in the face. Yeah, excellent. Uh, that's no, that's excellent. great. But I'm talking about like the the riot scene where all the slapstick were getting in the rioting. Um, oh yes, that. Well, the riot scene was poorly executed altogether. I feel like, and just little things like that, like little instances of slap. Like we get slapstick comedy, like right up to the moment of Quasimodo's first like venture out into the world. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the most awful thing that could happen to a human being happens in my children's movie. I mean, it gets a little carry for a while. Yeah. Uh. And then we immediately were right back into slapstick comedy after that. And I'm just like the the violently like holding on to my neck so it doesn't snap from how violent this tone shift is like. But let's begin at the, at the beginning. beginning. Hunchback might be the most musical Disney musical. And what I mean by that is it feels not only does it have a lot of music, but the music builds on itself like a stage musical does. Yeah, there's a lot of lay motifs and a lot of like really good like you know a character is influencing stuff because you can hear their music in the background. 
Mm-hmm. And this movie starts with a song called The Ringing of the Bells. Does that sound right? I think so. Let me let me check. Or The Bells of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I believe it's The Bells of Notre Dame. Yes, yes. And it is this character whose name I cannot pronounce. It looks like Kloppin. It's not. Kloppin. Uh, Kloppin? Okay. Fuck it. I hate French I names so much. I have a lot of issues with this character. We will talk about him later. So we have Kloppin. He mm-hmm. is doing a puppet show about Quasimodo and... Oh, my word. Frollo. <laughs> Frollo. It's been like Claude a week since we've seen this Frollo. movie. Yeah, about Quasimodo and Frollo. You know, it's like the opening song to Beauty and the Beast. It's an opening song to a musical. It's telling you what the musical is going to be about. So it's about Frollo. A bunch of few Romani are sneaking into Paris. Mm-hmm. Pause for a second. I was gonna go on and then I remembered this. There is about just about the ugliest dude who is bringing these Romani into Paris. And it really distracted me because there's no way that's Quasimodo's dad. No, no. But like, he looks, he is the only character that you ever see who looks like he could have been Quasimodo's dad. And here's the thing, I needed him to be like way less ugly just so I wouldn't have thought that thought. (laughs) (laughs) Judge Frollo, he is not a, um... He is not a part of the church in this movie, even though it feels like he is. Uh, and he is in the original book. He is uh, cracking down on these Romani. One of them is carrying a baby and she runs away. He chases after her on his evil horse. This horse is uh-huh. the most evil looking thing in the world. And the movie is very adamant that it is just a horse. It's not evil. It just looks like that. That's wild, because there's another horse later who seems like a good horse, but is also barely in the movie. So why is there an evil horse and a good horse? Yeah, it's weird. They definitely, I I bet they got, they were like, oh, we have too many wacky characters. These gargles are so much. We we are going to cut the horses out. Hey, we could have cut down on the gargoyles. We could there's have. also another character that is... There is, there is another moment where I saw a way better sidekick character for Quasimodo, mm-hmm. and they just let it go and gave him gargoyles instead and maybe furious. I'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so he chases down this woman. She breaks her neck on the steps of Notre Dame. It is very clear that that's what happens. It does not cut away from it. <laughs> no, I my my read on it was that like her head was just like bashed in by the sharp edge of the steps. But like, like either way, though, this woman is instantly dead on screen. It's wild. And he grabs what she was carrying. It turns out to be a baby. It is hideously ugly. He calls it a monster, goes to throw it down a well. And the deacon of Notre Dame, who short pause here should be a character and isn't uh this guy should be in this movie and he pretty much isn't <laughs> and it weirds me out uh he is the first character that i have a problem with you could totally see him as like a second father to quasimodo that way he could be getting advice from him instead of the gargoyles 
But he he has this scene. He has another short scene with Esmeralda where he's just basically a priest. He could have been replaced by any but priest. It could have been any other person. And then he has one one scene at the climax of the film where he does less than nothing. Right, yeah. He has a scene where I thought if this movie was going as hard as it wants to be going, he would be killed for trying to stop uh, he, right? Esmeralda's execution. Like... <laughs> It just, it felt like that character could have been something. Uh, and he's just not. Which is, whatever, short shrug. It's not the biggest problem with this movie. Uh, but he's, but he tells Frollo, you've already, I believe he even says, like, shed blood. Like, <laughs> spilt blood on the, on, on the, the steps, steps of Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. And this movie has been going hard already. But now we get what I believe this. is the hardest part of the movie where they're like these these statues like of all of these saints oh. and kings are like gazing down their navel at Frollo which is a fantastic scene but also terrifying and like it's, pointing it's at him freaky <laughs> I love it it's like it's like Frollo is so self assured he doesn't believe that he can be a sinner, basically. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, for maybe the first and last time in his life, he realizes, uh-oh, oh, <laughs> I'm no. a bad person. I might, I might go to hell. <laughs> yes. And so he decides to raise Quasimodo. But he again, he's raised in Notre Dame, which means that that other, that the deacon should be a, a bigger character, but whatever. The song ends with the question, what makes a monster and what makes a man? Which is, again, pretty solid. And then do we just go go into adult Quasimodo? Like, 20 years later? Yeah, we, we kind of, um, we have like a kind of a beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful vistas of Paris in this. I love the look of this movie. This might, this might be one of the best looking Disney movies. No, absolutely. I so I don't talk about Assassin's Creed much because they're not very good. Assassin's Creed Unity is not a good game. Mm -hmm. It's really bad, actually. It's a bad game. It's got bad writing. However, I played that game from start to finish twice because I loved running around Paris so much. And this movie fed that like that Francophile that apparently like lies within me. Uh, I really enjoyed. <laughs> looking at all of the like houses all like crumpled up together it's just one of it's just so pretty like this is cl clearly they did a lot of research and also Notre Dame looks gorgeous and is in I think almost every shot every shot of the film that is not like a close-up on characters Notre Dame right, is it's like in, like every there. wide shot yeah so Quasimodo is now the bell ringer of, of Notre Dame mm-hmm when we first see him, and this, I believe, is supposed to highlight his innocence, yeah, and his and the way that he is stuck where he is, he is teaching a bird how to fly. And I only bring this up because this is the sidekick character Quasimodo should have. Oh, absolutely. This bird should have left and come back and been his sidekick. It could be basically the same movie, but there's a bird. I kept comparing this to Tangled. Yeah. Uh, because it has actually a lot of the same themes, uh, what with the abusive parental figure, 
and like you know having to stay hidden and being an uh, outcast ostensibly for your own safety being an outcast rapunzel has a sidekick character who can't say anything and he's great oh yeah uh, <laughs> they should have given that to quasimodo instead of giving him these three gargoyles who show up now <laughs> I would have been okay, more okay with the gargoyles if they couldn't physically move. I kept on thinking of ways for this movie to be better. And there is, I want to bring this up. I'm not going to talk about the musical because I don't want to lead myself down, down that, that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but I do want to bring up something they do. Because when they when they wrote the musical version of this, they basically said they the people who wrote the musical were like, "Oh, I see the problem with Hunchback of Notre Dame. It shouldn't be for kids." Yeah, yeah. And they replaced the gargoyles with the saints. Yes, they are the saints of Notre Dame. They have like they they have like their stories about being saints who they used to be. It's it's almost like Night at the Museum. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a weird comparison, but it, it gives them a lot more depth. Um, but the other... So I, I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching this. But the other thing I was thinking was, I could allow the gargoyles if it were clear that they were in Quasimodo's head. And one of the reasons I could allow that is because at the end, one of the gargoyles... Uh, uh, or it's it's not one of the gargoyles, but a gargoyle comes alive and attacks Frollo. And it's very clear that that's in Frollo's head. Yes. <laughs> and if, y- you know... <laughs> I mean, I, I think there is something that you could do very good thematically, right? Which is that, like... Quasimodo looks at all of these gargoyles and statues as friendly. And they see... And they, they are his friends. Yeah. But to Frollo, they are enemies because he has made an enemy at this point of Notre Dame itself. Of Notre Dame itself. That, which, is, that is beautiful. That could work. The idea of Notre Dame being like like the opposite of a haunted house. Like it's it's such <laughs> yes. a it's such a sacrosanct place that it is itself alive and judging people is so good. And the movie sure. sort of like touches on it in the songs, but like I feel could have gone so much harder. I love the idea of an anti-haunted house. I really wished at the end of the movie both not to jump around too much, but both Frollo and Quasimodo are falling to their deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quasimodo gets saved, but I'd really wished that Quasimodo had been saved by like an outstretched hand of one of the statues. Sam. Yeah, right. Uh, to like make that very clear, like Notre Dame is protecting Quasimodo because he mm-hmm. is innocent. He is the good one. Um, that would have been great, but. Instead, we get these gargoyles who it is almost immediately clear are their own beings. Yes. They are not in Quasimodo's head. They can move around. They're like the gargoyles from Gargoyle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except those guys are cool. Those guys are cool. These guys are lame. They interact when Quasimodo is not around. Like he walks into another room and they're still talking with each other. And that immediately, like, broke the movie for me. I was really like, oh, okay, I see how it is. There are three of them. Their characterizations are the obnoxious one, the, I guess, stuffy one, and the one who's kind of like a grandma. The obnoxious one is played by George from Seinfeld. Yeah, Jason Alexander. 
who apparently they thought did Abba's Mall so well that they wanted to give him a gargoyle. <laughs> a crime. <laughs> I, this movie, by the way, I, I think it's really funny how almost, almost everybody in this movie, I think with the, with the exception of Tom Holsey, who plays um, Quasimodo, every other actor in this movie was directly chosen because the directors and the animator and the animators loved working with that actor in something else. Uh-huh. Like even um, Frollo is voiced by I think J- uh, oh, what was his name Jace something um, who does a fantastic job. Like they were they picked him because they loved working with him in a minor role in Beauty and the Beast. Do you mean Tony J? Tony J. Thank you, Tony J. Mm-hmm. I think basically everybody who has like a real role, not a gargoyle role, does great in this movie too. Yeah. I, I, there are not a lot of poorly delivered lines. With the exception of one song, five guess, uh, three guesses as to who sings it. <sighs> all the music in this is really good. <laughs> that, so. <laughs> <laughs> we get. I can't believe we're only at the beginning of the movie for it reminded me of that song. <laughs> I, I, um. That song hit me like a ton of breath. I was, uh, I was like refusing to get up and go grab a charger for my laptop because I was so engrossed by the film. Uh-huh. And then that song hits. You're like, well, I guess I can go get a charger now. I guess I can go get a charger now. Um, I, there, there is one other song in this movie that I don't like, um, which, it, but, which we'll get to. Um, I'm curious because there are a couple songs in this movie that I don't like because I don't like the scenes that they're in. And I'm a little curious as to as to what that's going to shake out to be. Okay, but now, right now, we do have a song. Out there. And it's so interesting because this was when it first hit me that this is a musical movie. Like a musical. Because Frollo comes and visits Quasimodo. And they have breakfast together. And they go over his alphabet. And while they're doing this, it's a... <laughs> Sorry... I just remembered an excellent line from this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frollo says a letter, and Quasimodo says the word that is associated with it. Frollo says, like, it starts with, like, A, abomination, that kind of thing. Yeah, he yeah, goes, yeah. D, damnation. Damnation. E, eternal damnation. <laughs> oh, I love that line. <laughs> There's a lot of great, great lines in this movie. There, there are, and that's the bit where I'm like, this is what the, all the comedy in the movie should be this. It should be, like, character comedy, because that's where it does best. And you're right, when it gives slapstick, when it does, like, the gargoyles, it's too much. But these, like, little lines like this, that's where it really hits. Anyway, they get into a fight about Quasimodo wanting to go to the festival. Yeah. But the way they get into this fight is Frollo is, like singing at him he's like talk singing yeah about how he's so deformed and so hideous and this leads into out there which is such a like i mean it's an i want song it's like such a big over the top and like altogether like happy song and it's so interesting that it starts at this level that that basically happens again in the other direction uh it's great It's such a fantastic, like, almost preserved in amber 
visual of what of what this movie what this movie is going to be about. It's going to be about this uh, this incredibly authoritarian figure trying to like press themselves onto something that cannot ultimately just cannot be contained, um, mm-hmm. which is just kindness. One of the things I really like about this movie is that Quasimodo is not just the embodiment of kindness. He is like the embodiment of Paris. He is Paris. And I think that's really cool. But he's it's, so, and he got there from being so removed from Paris. From it. Because he, because it's all he does is he watches everybody do their jobs. And like, he mm-hmm. loves, he loves the people of Paris and Paris so much that he has become like an effigy for them. And Frollo, who is like just just like this authoritarian judge, is like can- cannot ever be a part of this city, right? And he thinks he is. Yeah. He is going to this festival that Quasimodo wants to go to because it's his job, and he's like, "Well, this is what I do. I have to." And it's so interesting to see him actively taking part in a way that removes him from the people of of Paris. Ah, oh, it's great. Anyway, then Quasimodo makes a buckwild decision that I honestly don't understand how he got to. Because I thought that when Frollo was talking to him, he had talked him out of going to the festival. <laughs> That's what it looks like, right? Yeah, but then he, he climbs up to the top of Notre Dame and he synchronizes and he's like, no, I have to go. <laughs> so, because here's the thing. he has, It's just been established that Frollo's gonna be at the festival too, and he doesn't want to be caught. That's that's the thing, right? Is like I I do think that that's it's one of those things that I think the movie handles really well. Like, um, it's so easy for quasi for Quasimodo to talk himself into into just going right. Like this is what he <laughs> wants. It's it's the mo- It's also by the way, like it's such a simple I want. Like I think there's a big difference yeah. between being wanting to be part of a world. In this movie, which is just going outside and touching grass or cobblestone, versus uh-huh. in The Little Mermaid, where it's like, I this have is to a li- you have leave to do- my... You, you- <laughs> yeah, I cut off your, your fins. And your family. Lose your voice. I, I really love Out There for mm-hmm. one reason. It is not an accurate I Want song. No, it's lying to you. Quasimodo... <laughs> Quasimodo says if he has just one day, he'll be satisfied, even when he's, like, old. <clears throat> he'll he'll have had his one day out there, and that's all he needs. Except, <clears throat> you know, if you, like, have met a human, that that's not how it works. <laughs> As a person who, who is, like, a notorious antisocial, um, <laughs> I enjoy talking to people. It's nice. It's just a lot sometimes, right? But, like... You go too long without human contact, and you you start like craving it, something awful. Um, He's gonna want to go out again. Yeah, like, uh, and it's weird. As soon as the seal is broken, it, I mean, it does take him a little bit to go out again, but it's not nearly as big a deal the next time. No. You know? Well, and and also, right? It's because like ultimately, what he wants is not to go outside. What he wants is to stay outside. He wants to be accepted. Yes. This, this yeah. like, but the song is him lying to himself, right? Like, this is it's it's him putting a limit on on his true desires because he doesn't believe he's worthy of them. It's very Catholic. 
Yeah, pretty Catholic, actually. He's, he's really, he's really uh, absorbed a lot of Catholic guilt from Frollo. Um, let me mention... Actually, I want to mention two things, because you brought up Catholicism. But number one is, when I was a kid, at some point, I reached the understanding that Quasimodo went to the Festival of Fools because he knew people were wearing masks, and therefore he would look normal. But he does not appear to know that. <laughs> and so I don't know why I thought that that was true, but uh, there is no particular reason for him to go out on this day, I feel like. He should have gone to just, like, the bakery on a normal day. He would have had a better time. The other thing about Catholicism, I don't think there's a cross in this movie. No. I don't think I see... I've, I saw a cross in this movie. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. There is a lot of invocation of God and a lot, a lot of invocation of Mary. There is a cross. No, there is a cross in the movie. It's it's when he climbs to the top of the steeple, but that's it. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has crosses on it. But like, yeah, it, it does not have prominence. And it's interesting that that is that that is the visual storytelling of this movie. I think that's kind of a holdover from the book. Maybe. In no way is it, like, not Catholic, but it does focus in on, like, Mary a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was seen as safer or if or if Mary is a big figure in Parisian Catholicism or Notre Dame specifically. I, I mean, I don't know. I do know that Mary is a pretty Mary's big, a big figure, figure in, in all Catholicism, to be fair. <laughs> uh, specifically in Latin American Catholicism. Um, yes, but I don't know about French. Uh, sorry, I just checked real quick. The apparently, and my French is really rusty, but yeah, Notre Dame means Our Lady. So yeah, this is dedicated to, oh, Mer okay, to Mary. Okay. <laughs> cool, great, awesome. Ignore the last ten minutes of us pontificating this we're, grand we're mystery. We're really going to suss stuff out, huh? <laughs> Brilliant, Holmes. And I do think that the choice—I think the choice to focus on on Mary and not on like Jesus and the cross—is is the directors making like an intentional like, well, we don't want to say anything about that. But I also think it it hones in, it accidentally hones in on something that the book is about, uh, which is that the book doesn't give a shit about the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, in fact, the book, the book is a lot more anti-Catholic than this movie is. Well, they did change Frollo into a judge. <laughs> yeah, and as opposed Probably to, I think he's for a, that reason. I thought he was a cardinal, but I, I think he's like just an archdeacon or something a, in the a book. A deacon or an archdeacon, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of um, da, 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 Three Musketeers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you seen or read Three Musketeers? I wa I watched the Wishbone Three Musketeers. Okay. And there was a Three Musketeers movie that came out like I think in 2014 that I watched. It wasn't very good. The bad one with Logan Lerman. Okay, in the Three Musketeers movie that I'm thinking of, I'll tell you all you need to know about how it views the Catholic Church. Tim Curry is a cardinal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, the Catholic Church is the bad guys in that movie. Uh, it's also good and fun. Uh, anyway. The, the reason that that matters, right, is because what Victor Hugo, who wrote the book, gave a shit about was just the cathedral itself as like a testament of architecture and dude loved architecture um dude i was talking it. to chamey about 
Les Mis, apparently there is a lot of time spent in the sewers <laughs> because he found the sewers really interesting. These are the most interesting parts of Paris. <laughs> um, well, and he was also obsessed with the catacombs, right? Like Victor Hugo was a big believer in like architecture at, as as history. Like these are things of historical significance that were built not to be beautiful, but but have been made beautiful by time. And the cathedral is like the ultimate epitome of that mindset, because not only was it built to be beautiful, it was built to stand the test of time. Right. Yeah. Like, I think this movie could have done a little bit more to, like, lean into that drift. You don't want to go too hard sometimes. You know, Victor Hugo went very hard on, on architecture. He was going through a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. A little bit off track. Where are we? Into the city. <laughs> We're finally leaving Notre Dame. We're entering the streets of Paris, and it is the Festival of Fools. What do you think of the Festival of Fools? I guess I have a different way of phrasing this question. The song Topsy Turvy. Thoughts. <laughs> the song and scene Topsy Turvy. I think it's fine. I, I, it's a bit much. Again, I don't, I'm not fond of the slapstick comedy in, in the movie, but... I think it works in this scene because it's clearly a performance, right? This is a parade. Um, Sure. Can I tell you my issue with it? Yeah. I have sort of twin issues with it, actually. They're connected. I have conjoined twin issues with it. (laughs) Number one, it is a lot. It is very bright and very loud. Yes. Very off-putting in a way that, like, it makes me think that they wanted this to be, like, under the sea. But it's like, as a kid, I was afraid of this scene. It's a sensory overload. But part of it is Quasimodo, who I feel like should be happier in this scene, is so clearly also overwhelmed. Yeah. And so clearly also like kind of wants to get away from this, not to run away, but he's immediately the center of attention for uh Chopin. And he is so uncomfortable with that scrutiny. Uh but this guy who we haven't introduced Chopin, he is I believe in the book he is called the King of Truants. He is yes. like a major leader of the Romani people. He always wears a mask. He is very big. He is the most cartoonish guy. And in a later scene, I will come to hate him. Yes, uh. he is. <laughs> he is a bit much. He's clearly supposed to be the narrative linchpin of this film in the same way that like Genie is. And that could have. Okay. The genie, or uh, if you if you feel the need to separate them into different people, the um, the salesman, the the yeah, is clearly selling the viewer this lamp after the story has ended. Yeah, the story is still going on when Chopin introduces it, and then he ends it at the moment the story has ended, like in the crowd scene. It had cut away to like. It, it's clearly later. I might have been happier with it. But at this point, he knows who Quasimodo is because he's been telling this story. And he's in this scene and another scene later, which makes you wonder, like, so what is his viewpoint of what's happening? Because he seems to know as much as I do. So but that's but that's the thing, right? Is like this is the thing that really pisses me off about thing that about topsy turvy and humiliation that really pissed me off. Like because they both lead into each other. And I think again, that's a, a mm-hmm. bad tone shift. It seems that everybody in Paris not only knows who Quasimodo is, 
they not only know where he lives and what he does, they know his name? Okay, but that's probably Chopin's fault. Because Quasimodo is the cryptid he tells people about. A rand, yeah, but like, I don't know, right? Like, it's just, I think it's weird that like, that this story is so widespread that a random person could point at Quasimodo and go, it's him, the, the hideous freak from the church. Here's his name in history. It's weird. It's rough. Um, however, before stuff starts going bad for Quasimodo, he does meet Esmeralda. He does meet Esmeralda. Who, okay. I want to talk about Esmeralda for a little bit. And here's what I want to say about her. She might be my favorite female Disney character. Uh, And here's why this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. There is functionally one female character in this movie. Yeah. However, that female character has such expansive wants and needs of her own that And these wants and needs are also the wants and needs of not only her entire people, but of everybody she sees as having less than her. But also, she's like, she's like Meg from Hercules. She's like the sassiest person you'll ever meet. And she is sexualized to no end in this movie. But she uses her sexuality in the same way that Bugs Bunny does. And it is... (laughs) wild i kind of love it it's amazing uh like she is it feels like she is the most explored character in this movie and that she is kind of the heart and soul of it in a way that i did not expect she even has a sidekick character that works it is a sidekick character that most works in this movie uh and there's not even a moment where i'm like that's a bit much from this sheep no or this goat it's just great i i know i agree with you i definitely think that esmeralda in like a lot of ways is a protagonist but it's one of those things where it's like it's tough because like what esmeralda wants is so it, it in her in her kind of sort of i want song which i don't like whoa 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 holy cow Boy, that's gonna be a conversation. Okay, let's go on. Keep going. But um, what 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 Esmeralda wants is a bit outside the scope of this story. Yes, but I think the understanding of the story is that by in the same way that Quasimodo is the people of Notre Dame, or sorry, is the people of Paris. By the end of the story, the mood of Paris has shifted in a way that it has become more accepting. I think is our idea. No, yeah, for sure, but you can't you can't fix everything. But yeah, you can't you can't fix. Well, I don't know about that, but like you can't fix everything in an hour and a half. Andy. in an hour and a half. Well, that's the thing is again, this is a, a this movie has a has a very has a runtime of ninety minutes. We got we got stuff to, we got other stuff we got to do. I think Esmeralda's like. Right, like her dialogue and how she acts as a character is fantastic. I do think that the way that the movie uses her in regards to like her relationship with Quasimodo gets to a point where it feels cruel. It's weird. I so the love triangle is bad, it's not good, and the inherent meta problem of the love triangle, wherein Quasimodo is the only disney protagonist to not get a romantic partner by the end of this movie is very bad because it's weirdly the movie like buying into what it says it doesn't buy into 
which is that like he is undeserving of love for being ugly. However, I have a that so that's the plotting is rough. I have a hard time either blaming Esmeralda or even Captain Phoebus for it, because I actually like both those characters. There's a lot of reasons to like Esmeralda, but Captain Phoebus is basically Tuxedo Mask. I hate Phoebus so fucking much. (laughs) Excellent. Let's talk about Phoebus, because I think he showed up around now. Yeah, he shows up. He's he helps after after. um, So uh, let's just like to catch everybody up narratively on what happened. Right. Like Quasimodo go uh, gets elected the the king of the fools. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's not till a little later. Phoebus shows up. No, he showed up earlier. He showed up earlier, uh, but uh, he, his his real introduction happens around here. Yes. No, actually, I want to talk about this before Quasimodo ends up the King of Fools. Okay, so okay, Phoebus okay. shows up. He is, he's basically just a hot guy. He used to be a soldier. I guess he's still a soldier, but, but he's, he's like, basically like, now he's a cop. Yeah, he's a cop now. He was promoted to like guard in Paris itself, which is a lot safer than being a soldier. He tells his horse he's been gone for a couple decades and now everything has changed, which is buck the fuck wild, because he's gotta be 20-something, like, early 20s. <laughs> you can't just say stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I It makes him sound like he's in his 30s. Or 40s. Like, how is he gone for that long? Because the implication is that he was gone to war for that long, and that can't be right. My best explanation is that when he was four, he was sent away to himbo school. Um, Where the himbos go to die. (laughs) Well, yeah, so he graduated himbo school and became a soldier. Because Phoebus, and this is why I can't hate him, is just a big ol' himbo. (laughs) Of the highest order. Uh, he has this horse. The horse is fine. The horse does not really get enough screen time to be a character. Phoebus is captain of the guard. He and Frollo, they are watching Esmeralda dance. Yep. And this is the moment that this is really the um, actual inciting action of this movie, because as Esmeralda is doing her sexy as Bugs Bunny routine, Frollo finds himself like caught under her spell to put it in like a G-rated way. And he says, look at the look at her, Captain. And he was gonna say something like, yes, sir. He is Captain Phoebus is horny on the main, and that is important because it's basically his character trait. <laughs> Frollo being horny is a problem. Captain Phoebus getting horny is just his natural state. It's where he is at all times. He just needs somewhere to like funnel that passion. I hate Phoebus so goddamn much. And I, 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 to be fair, I don't hate him as a character. It's just, I hate his utilization in the story because he's a hero. He gets to have all the hero moments, right? Mm-hmm. But like our main character is Quasimodo. Quasimodo is the person who has, who's going through actual growth and like, intellectual change and so there are a lot of moments in this movie where i'm like quasimodo should have said this that's fair the the biggest misstep that this movie has that isn't gargoyles is this like love triangle and how it's handled and how phoebus is basically the romantic lead of this movie yep even though he is like a tertiary character if they wanted him to be romantic lead they had to 
make him another lead in this movie. But they didn't because they wanted to focus on Quasimodo, but then for some reason still have Esmeralda end up with somebody else. And, like, that's the problem of the movie. And, and, and that's the thing, right, is it's so cruel to Quasimodo. Like, mm-hmm. one of the big questions that this movie asks, and it asks a lot, and it doesn't answer most of them, but one of the big ones is Quasimodo, when he realizes his feelings for Esmeralda, pontificates in the form of a song about how he knows what love looks like, and he doesn't think he'll ever have it. That he's not, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, like being accepted is, is one thing. Having somebody fall in love with him is so far beyond his ability to imagine that he doesn't even try to grasp it. And so the fact that this movie kind of agrees with him feels bad. Here's the problem. I would like a Disney movie to posit that being a hero does not mean that you are awarded the girl. I would like a Disney movie to say that a romantic interest is a different thing from being a hero. It did not have to be this one, though, because that makes it so fraught. It makes itself so fraught with this. Uh, And it's weird because it also, like, it, like, double and triples down on Quasimodo being the nicest guy. Way nicer than, like... Anybody should have to be asked to be. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's like Quasimodo is the outcast of the outcast. He he is like the lowest of the low. He is like not allowed to participate in society. Period. Not, Technically, not, he's really high. But go on. Yeah, but not <laughs> not just because <laughs> he's ugly. Not just because he's deformed. But also because he is also Romani. <laughs> yes, which is not at all gotten into except for maybe for like half a second at the end like it is not one of the things i always found interesting about quasipoto that the movie does not really interact with is he is half romani at least we know that his mother was it's so fucked up that like this movie goes out of its way to be like this it makes you fall in love with quasimodo so much because he is genuinely like the kindest person in in this movie and also at the same time the movie tells us like esmeralda is like independent she is the epitome of not just her people but also her sex and also she's going to end up with this white dude (laughs) that's that's just this just yeah this actually according to the gargoyles pretty basic ass dude the fact that there is a song about how this guy is basic as fuck and then it still happens is wild one of the reasons that song shouldn't be in here it's it's you cannot it's not enough movie to point out a trope (laughs) if you still do the trope you are not being witty you're being lazy and snarky about how lazy you are particularly because the rest of that song is also miserable god i hate that song that song that song is a fucking break in and of itself so so yes quasimodo is elected king of fools the king of fools is the ugliest person that's uh that's the joke that's just the joke like make the ugliest face maybe you'll get to be king uh for a day so he is pulled on the stage by esmeralda who thinks she's being nice yeah Uh, Because she thinks he's wearing a mask. The act of her trying to pull his face off is so much. And then Chopin, to his credit, really rolls with this particular punch and crowns him the king of fools. 
Quasimodo in this moment has been accepted and he is literally crying. And then Patrick Starr <laughs> throws a tomato at him. I, I, I will say this movie does a lot of little things that show that there were people on the writing staff who have who have some understanding of how the real world works. The fact that this entire affair, this scene, is instigated by the police. Yeah, who are who are supposedly here to keep the peace. I know you don't like Phoebus. One of the things I like about him is he realizes the police are bad and leaves. And leaves. Uh, pretty dramatically. <laughs> but but like also, right, these are people who are under the the iron thumb of Frollo. Clearly, this is what he trained them to be. And heck, we see it. He refuses to help Quasimodo because he wants him to suffer for disobeying him. So we can see this. He likes is such a strong word for about anything that Frollo has the ability to feel. But he likes that this is happening. Oh, yeah. He he is fucking like living in this. But Esmeralda frees Quasimodo from his... I forget if he was like... I think it was tied down. I think they, like, pulled some ropes over him. They absolutely tie him down, and this is... Tor- it's torture. And, it's- and, and, like, on a wheel, in in a way that was... Th- that seemed like... I was trying to figure out if this is what happens to the King of Fools. Uh, but Esmeralda seems to think it's not, so... So, I... By the way, I genuinely, genuinely... This scene is incredibly difficult to watch. I was very much not having a great time. <laughs> it's, this it's, scene. It's so hard. <laughs> like I compared it to Carrie and I was not really joking. No. It's, this scene goes as hard as the prom scene in Carrie. Like when this happens, yeah. you feel so bad for Quasimodo that if he started murdering people, you would say... That seems right, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much like, I don't know if it would have been a better children's movie, but... Probably <laughs> I <would> not. Have, <laughs> I would have had a better time. Because it's, the, the again, just the, the lengths at which this movie goes to, like, show you how kind Quasimodo is. It's a bit much. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just wish uh, he would just snap. And he does, but by then it's like, you know, it's different. So, Esmeralda saves him. Frollo demands the Esmeralda be captured for interrupting this. And she does some spectacular, like, magic tricks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, like, performances that get her the hell out of there. And then later we see her in her old man disguise, which I want to point out because I just, I love the character idea of this. Her old man disguise. Uh, by the way, this was the only content warning I saw under G was smoking. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it said fear, comma smoking. <laughs> fear. Her, her old man disguise is is her with her goat on top of her in a hood, and the goat has uh, his little beard is sticking out and a pipe is sticking out. It's it's amazing. so good. I love it's it. It's so good. Esmeralda gets away and finds herself in Notre Dame. But unfortunately, Phoebe's is um, is right behind well, her because okay. he's. It's Phoebus. It's important. It's the name of a Pokemon. <laughs> is it the name of a Pokemon? <laughs> yeah, there's like a fish called Phoebus. Oh, nice. I think I wrote that in one of my notes. I I purposefully miswrote his name 
as much as I could because I think it's the dumbest <laughs> name in the world. It is, by the way, Phoebus is the most author up his own ass name for a character. It's so funny. Like, Victor Hugo was so proud of this name. Like, <laughs> well, the, di- the difference is that in a Victor Hugo novel, there's also 200 more characters. So, like... oh, yeah. In a Victor Hugo novel, you also have, you know, actually, Phoebus is still kind of the wildest name in the main book, but, you know, you have other people. <clears throat> But you have some stuff to draw it away from. Anyway, keep going. Yes, Phoebus shows up. He shows up, starts flirting extremely hard. Because again, the man is horny. The man is horny. His opening line is, My name's Phoebus. It means sun god. Oh, by the by, I have to mention this real quick because that line made me remember it. There was one moment where I shouted out boo at this movie. Uh Uh-huh. His horse's name is Achilles. It's Achilles. Yeah, it is. There is only one reason for his name, his horse to be named Achilles. It is so that he can say, Achilles, heal. And I yelled, boo. Boo. That was it. (laughs) That was it. Maybe I did not like it. I think Achilles is a good name for a horse, but I... Achilles is a great name for a horse. I'm so mad that they said that thing. (laughs) I I hate Phoebus so much. I hate Phoebus so goddamn much. They flirt. <laughs> they fight. Um, they have like a fun a fun little sword fight. Yeah, Esmeralda uses like an entire candlestick. You know, like an eight foot tall one. It's great. One of the things that I do like about Phoebus is that she absolutely nails him in the nards. <laughs> and then the head. And then he gets head butted by a goat. And he no sells this. Like, listen, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> This has been fun, but I do not actually want to fight. <laughs> Please stop hitting me in this church. God can see uh, me getting beaten up. I don't want God to see me get beat up. The swole master himself, Jesus Christ. So they have a little bit of a talk, but then Fro- uh, Frollo shows up uh, and is like, oh, great, great. You found her. This is great. This is going to make the movie so much shorter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One and done. Esmeralda obviously doesn't trust Phoebus, so he just has to turn around and lie and be like, oh, no, she's claimed sanctuary. There's nothing I can do. Ah, beans. You know how it is. Sanctuaries. Frollo is immediately just like, well, just drag her outside then, dummy. Like, come on. (laughs) Laws are only as real as the people who enforce them. Yes, and then for again like half a second, this deacon shows back up and it's like, hey, man, we got rules. (laughs) Did you forget? Remember when you killed that woman and the saints were staring you down about it? Hey, remember? God, I wish he was a character. God, I he sh- I'm uh, on the one hand, I'm glad that he's not, but on the other hand, he should just not be in the movie. It's one or the other. Like you need to cut him out completely or have him be like it would be great if it felt like there was somebody else who who had tried to stand against Frollo at some point and right? like the best he could do is keep his church safe. Right. It's clearly not enough, though. Like, here's here's the thing, is that if your church was truly safe, I just think there would have been more people there who weren't just rich assholes. Um, <laughs> so clearly the guy's the guy is kind of keeping to himself, but he he does preach all high and mighty to to Quasimodo and Esmeralda in a way that infuriates me. Sorry, stop. He doesn't. The man never interacts with Quasimodo. It oh, is sorry. the is main it, problem of the movie. Is it just Esmeralda that he he like 
he just, Esmeralda says there's like so much stuff going on outside. And he says, maybe you could find someone in here to help. And I legitimately did not know if he was talking about God or Quasimodo. Quasimodo. I think he was talking about God, but you know. I think he was talking about God, but uh, if if he were more of a character, he might have been talking about Quasimodo, you know? Like, he might have been like, maybe there's someone in here you could help. Go upstairs. <laughs> he can sneak you out, you know? We get into a song that I think might be the worst song of the movie because of how close it is to being good. This is a wild take. We are both talking about God Help the Outcasts, outcasts. right? There wasn't another song. No, yeah, this is God Help the Outcasts. I think my reaction to this song was very much like, I was just kind of miserable the whole time. I think there's like a specific section of the song that almost catches something that I really like. But on the whole, the reason I don't like this song is I don't like the portrayal of of God as a savior and of the Catholic Church as being an inherent good. I mean, I don't think that is the portrayal of this. No, this is a larger problem with the movie. I don't think that is even in the movie supposed to be the understood portrayal. Because, like, okay, she has come into this, like, big cathedral. She has never been in here before, even though it is basically, if you think of a church in Paris, it is the church in Paris. Um, Mm -hmm. She has never been here before. When she starts addressing Mary, she says, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to you. So I don't feel like it is trying. And I'm, you know what, (sighs) authorial intent versus like what you get out of it, obviously. But I don't think it is trying to sound like it is inherently good. It is the, the church is inherently good. It is her calling out for someone who she says she doesn't even know is there. You know, those are the bits of the song that I think really make it work for me. Esmeralda sort of, she sort of has faith because not having faith would be so miserable. Like not not having the thought that maybe, maybe somebody could help would be so miserable. Maybe you would have liked the original version of this song, uh, which was basically the same idea, but not sung in a church just sung about how she wanted the world to be different, and maybe it would be someday. I think this is a great song. I really like it. If you have a minute, go look up the demo version. Oh, with, no. With, with Alan Menken doing it. It uh, basically destroyed me. <laughs> I think ultimately my issue with it is I dislike, because again, Esmeralda is is Romani. I dislike the appeal to to the to this Catholic God, right? Like Esmeralda has her own culture, her own thing that she could reach out to and have faith in. Like she uh she has an intrinsic good. I don't it feels gross to me. <laughs> That's it's, fair. I was wondering watching this if Esmeralda had ever been outside of the city. And here's why I say that. Because later, when she is being chased through Paris and Paris is burning around her, I kept thinking she should allow herself to be seen leaving the city. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because, like, one of the things I know about Romani and is very true in this is that they are um, travelers. They sort of live outside of what other people consider normal society. 
Yeah. But, like, what if she'd just been born here? And, like, yeah, she's always lived with Romani because she's Romani, but she doesn't have the, the, like, culture of, like, moving around, and so she has observed the culture of the city. I don't know. Again, that's maybe what I took out of it versus what's actually on the page. No, and, and yeah, like, I, I just... I just think that there's so much that could have been done in this scene that isn't done. And like, I think the thing about the song that I really like is, um, mm. is, um, there's a, a moment in the song. It's so, it's so good where Esmeralda is walking kind of into the church while the people who were at the morning mass are, le- are leaving and her, her, prayer is juxtaposed against theirs right it's a fantastic part of the song it's i think the closest the music in this has gotten to going as hard as prince of egypt is that choral and the things that they are asking for especially when presented against esmeralda's prayer seem very selfish Mm -hmm. they're like oh i asked for wealth i asked for love i asked for glory to my name and she's and she's just like please help people who don't have anything yeah, and what I would want out of this song is more of that juxtaposition, right? I, I, I need more of the hypocrisy to be on display. And when I got it at the end, I was like, oh, okay. The, so the there is an awareness here that, like, this is where rich people go to ask for rich people things. Right? <laughs> Ostensibly in the name of the Lord. But... It's not enough. And also, again, just the, the framing of it and the imagery. It's just, again, it just, there's there, there's so much happening here in this one song that, like, I feel like didn't come out in the wash. I, it, it left me feeling just frustrated, I guess, is what it is. And, and, and because of that, I dislike this song a lot because it's on the precipice of being something I like and therefore is worse than something I hate. <laughs> Hard disagree, but whatever. For, for sure. So Esmeralda catches sight of Quasimodo. Yes. And chases him down like a horror movie monster. <laughs> she finds his workshop, which we haven't really talked about, but Quasimodo lives in like the attics of Notre Dame, and it seems like his job, one of his one of his big jobs is maintaining it. Like he has mm-hmm. like a kiln and like a bunch of like saint statues up there for repair. And it, it, it seems like part of Quasimodo's job is like maintaining the architecture of, of the cathedral, which is why he's so good at like whittling and carving. And he has this little diorama of Notre Dame that he built himself. It's really cool. It's a good touch. I really like it. You know how people say the phrase, this lives rent free in my head? Yeah, yeah. In general terms, I don't like this phrase because I actually think it's a pretty bad description for I think about something a lot. Yeah. Uh, but what does live, I realized, rent free in my head is these carvings he's made. And I'll tell you why I say that is because as I was watching this movie, I realized how like how much as a child they looked so like tactile. And, yeah. Like, like, like they, they felt like something I could, like, reach out and touch. And the scenes with them are always so good when he is showing them off or when he's putting himself with the people or away from the people, stuff like that. I just had such an appreciation for this this little part of his diorama of just, like, the Quasimodo figure, the little baker figure. They put so much effort into making these figures look like they were made by hand. And I feel like I feel like other things that have tried to do this 
they just make they just make them look like little 3d printed people but like the fact that like quasimodo's figure is also like has like little tufts of like hay for his hair stuff like that i do want to mention something though when esmeralda sees this she says if she could make things like that she wouldn't be a dancer and he says oh but you're an amazing dancer and i had to pause and say esmeralda is the best performer like that we have seen again her escape was so wild she disappeared and reappeared like 20 feet away like a but yeah like a lot she She did a lot not talk down about her own ability to perform she's doing just fine And then she and she says, I think she also says, like, well, I guess it keeps food on the table. And it's like, lady, I hate to tell you this, but like the reason dancing isn't giving you a lot of money isn't because you're a bad dancer. It's because right. of racism. You, we just had a whole song about this. Quasimodo, over the course of this conversation, basically agrees to help her escape, like doesn't even agree, proposes it like I can help you escape. You don't have if you yes. don't want to be here, I will help you leave, which is honestly again, good guy Quasimodo. Like, this is, it's the ultimate, like, the power dynamics of a relationship. You want, you want people, you uh-huh. want to be on equal footing with your partner. And, like, in this moment, Quasimodo has a lot of power over Esmeralda. If he wanted her to stay, he could keep her there. Not only just because he has immense physical strength, but also because she doesn't know how to leave. Which the movie actually, I feel like, should focus a little bit more on. Because, like, the movie seems to remember he has immense physical strength occasionally <laughs> but he's he's basically superhuman and it is not commented on i think that hunch on his back is all muscle it's all muscle but yes he's basically in this moment the exact opposite of the beast he is like i would really like you to be here but i know that it's wrong to keep you here i know how to get rid of you like uh it's great it's so good and um in a way, I think this movie is, I think, a fantastic handshake like it, with Beauty and the Beast. But um, he helps her escape. There is a great line again. He is holding her and the goat in one yes. arm and hanging off Notre Dame with the other. And she says, you've done this before? And he just says, nope. Nope. <laughs> but he, the guy, the guy has the Assassin's Creed carved into his heart. He can just <laughs> scale this building. Yep, no problem. One-handed <laughs> with a full-grown woman and a goat. And a goat. <laughs> like, it's nothing. He falls. He falls, like, four stories, and he just lands like a champion. Like, yep, this yeah. is nothing. I also, I, I want to emphasize this. Tom Hulsey, who voices Quasimodo, also pl- played Wolfgang Amadeus in the movie Amadeus, which I am looking forward to watching in, like, ten years. Oh, 10 years for, for your for the, older for, podcast. Yeah, for the other podcast. Um, <laughs> this guy has the most beautiful voice, genuinely. Oh, yeah. The moment Quasimodo started speaking, I was like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful voice. Um, and he has a great singing voice. He does all of his own singing in the movie. All of this to say that like that coupled with the fact that Quasimodo seems to be the strongest person alive. <laughs> this guy's hot. <laughs> like, yeah, it makes him hot. <laughs> I think maybe the best juxtaposition in the movie. And and I think this is done on purpose when some of the others weren't is the fact that he has such a beautiful singing voice mm-hmm. and he's so ugly. You know, that's just great. 
Uh, and what this movie actually does well is it does not make Quasimodo less ugly as the movie goes on. No. Um, which happened with the Beast. Uh, now, mostly that was because the Beast was always like frowning and growling. Yeah, he becomes fluffier and softer. But Quasimodo doesn't. And I think that's great. He should have been mm. allowed to be a romantic lead. But I, I've seen a lot of back and forth discourse on this on the internet. And I think um, the the big thing that really like it gets me in a guff or whatever, like a good idiom for being it's your guff. mildly perturbed is the big argument for why people support Quasimodo not getting with Esmeralda is that is, is the thing that you said, right? Like heroes like shouldn't by virtue of being a hero get the girl um right right? but i think a counterpoint to that is over the course of this movie quasimodo doesn't get to be a hero because guess who gets to be a hero fucking phoebe phoebe gets to be a hero (laughs) um from friends (laughs) um like gets he gets to do all the speeches he gets to he he gets to like command the riot he gets to like he gets all the big hero moments but quasimodo gets all of the quiet and romantic ones it did upset me a little bit that phoebus gets to save Quasimodo when I, again, thought Notre Dame should do it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, no, but it's absolutely right. Like, he, uh, like Phoebus is a hero. He, it, like, in any other movie, he would have been the protagonist. And so, like, if your argument for why Quasimodo shouldn't have gotten with Esmeralda is that you don't think hero should get the girl, then this movie is a bad example because the whole point of this movie is that the hero should get the girl and Quasimodo is not worthy of love, even though he is, again, the, the hottest dude in this movie. Like... <laughs> absolutely there's also here's here's the thing like i said i can't hate phoebus and there is another reason why it is because and this doesn't happen enough there are great moments with phoebus it's when he's hanging out with quasimodo Quasimodo. because because they barely stand each other and it's the best there there was there is the making of a of a buddy cop movie between those two characters as they are written absolutely but they only ever get together at like the the third act (laughs) like it's too late to do it by then so we get possibly the best song of the movie in this point oh are we doing um heaven's light and hellfire hell yes hell yeah we are heaven's light yes which I think might be the better song, but it's a real six uh, six in one hand, half dozen in the other situation. Uh- yeah. Well, also, it it helps that both of these songs are so like intrinsically tied together thematically. Absolutely, they're the same song. Mirrored. They're the same song, and and that's why it's the best one. This is the second time this has happened in this movie because it happened during out there. Yes, during out there. And this is the second time it's happened, and it made me wonder, why aren't all villain songs an inverse of the I Want song? Because it works so well in this movie. Yeah, it's such a good twist on what Quasimodo wants is to be accepted by society. Uh, but but ultimately, the thing that he wants that's beyond acceptance is is love. Uh, he wants somebody to love him for who he is, and he knows deep down somewhere, even if he doesn't admit it, that Frollo does not love him. And what Frollo wants is order and respect, but he is willing to throw all of that away out of lust, out of a disgusting lust. Because he haunt. It is amazing. This, so in Hellfire, he basically says to the fire itself that 
either he's going to kill Esmeralda or force her to be with him. Yeah. And it's great because, one, it almost makes me feel bad for Frollo. Because we've been seeing Phoebus be horny this whole time, and it's just fine. Yeah. He can let himself be horny. You can just be horny, dude. Yeah. Frollo can't <laughs> let himself be horny. He feels horny and has convinced himself it is witchcraft. He, he feels horny and it is a sin. And it is all of Paris's problem now. Because Paris <laughs> will burn. My man is so blue balled. It is all of Paris's problem. <laughs> It's great. It is exceptional. But I I do think that that this song, this moment is why Hunchback of Notre Dame is like so stuck in so many people's mind. I think we're all people. We're all human. Like we've all wanted things that we don't think we deserve. But like the juxtaposition of like uh, of how that can be twisted from from just kind of an innocent desire into this like horrible manifestation of sin. Um, Again, very Catholic. (laughs) Excessively Catholic. (laughs) But also, Tony J is fucking killing it. What I kept noticing was that Frollo is really good at this movie. And like, it's weird because I, because he's such a human villain, he's a lot easier to hate than Ursula or Scar or Maleficent because those 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 guys are caricatures. Even even to pick another human villain, even like Governor Ratcliffe is such a goofy villain. Be, and part of it I think is because all of them we don't know their life, right? But Frollo, you know what his deal is. Like there is no redeeming this guy. And it makes him so much easier to hate, but at the same time, damn, but he's going hard. Mm-hmm. But this is like a really good scene. And basically every scene he's in is a really good scene. And so it's 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 really interesting to fucking hate a character because the, the actor is doing so well. I I think that you could write an entire thesis, like a doctoral thesis on this song. And its Mm -hmm. impact on people of our generation. Because, like, even I had never, I had never seen this movie in its entirety. I knew this song. I've heard this (laughs) song. Like, I think there's something about it that, like, I think not only speaks to, like, just people in general, but people, but also specifically, I think speaks to something about our generation. And I don't know what it is. I would like to hear... (laughs) people who are well-versed in this kind of thing talk about it more. It's so good. It's very good. This whole time he is singing this song about his lust for Esmeralda, he is caressing this scarf. Oh, that she threw at him. That she threw at him as a taunt. As a taunt that's like, hey, this is our day and you cannot take it from us. Like, that was basically her taunt in this moment. Also, when when she claims sanctuary in the church, he has a little aside with her and he sniffs her hair. Ugh. And I that it's very hard for a movie, I think, to pull emotions out of me that aren't sadness. I'm an easy crier. Uh huh. That incensed me. I, I have genuinely never been so physically angry watching a movie than that scene where I was like, don't fucking smell her, dude. <laughs> Anyway, fuck this guy. This song is 
awesome. And at the end, when he sings that it will, um, that she'll either be with him or she'll burn, he burns her scarf. Yeah. It's great. The, the visual storytelling in this is amazing, too. Oh, and then in the next scene, <laughs> Phoebus is like, are you okay, sir? You look really tired. <laughs> um... Uh, also, real quick, the 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 chorus in this song. Um, every time he he, there's a part in the song where like you see the like cardinals like rise up out of the shadows of the flame to like judge him, mm-hmm. and he's trying to like excuse himself, right? Like I like it's not my fault, it's her fault, and they keep saying to him mea culpa, which is like a, a like the like it's the big um it just means my fault in latin i think but uh-huh. it's like a big tenant in um in the catholic faith that like even if someone else tempted you the act of accepting it is still your fault um so anyway just again this song is doing so much it's going so hard it's really good i think this song and um let my people go from prince of egypt both just like really tap into the thing that they need to to like pull it out of you what happens next where are we we're we're burning down paris yeah paris is burning so they are hunting down esmeralda they in a scene that i quite like for being like weirdly cheeky about it uh (laughs) They first offer 10 pieces of silver and then 20 pieces of silver for Esmeralda. Yeah. And they stop at offering 30. <laughs> but I'm like, I know what came next. <laughs> um, And they find this mill. Yeah, a miller. It's like on the outskirts of Paris. Yeah, on the outskirts of Paris where they would take in travelers, including Romani, and like hide them. This... Now, this is a bit much. (laughs) This is a great scene, but again, for my children's movie, (laughs) this is is literally shit that Nazis did. Like, I... Uh, It's a bit much. We didn't mention this. I want to go back and mention it really quickly. Really quickly. Because this also ties into this. When... Frollo is talking about getting rid of the Romani people. He is squashing bugs as he says it. Yes. And he says, they always find a place to hide. And he lifts up this flagstone. There are a bunch of bugs under it. And Phoebus asks what he wants to do about it. And he turns the flagstone upside down and smashes it and kills all the bugs. It's like, I want to genocide these people explicitly. So Back here, he knows that these people protect Romani people. They're not giving him Esmeralda. (laughs) He closes the door, sticks a spear in it so they can't get out. There is a man, a woman, and a child in here, by the way. There are are children in there. And he he tells the captain of the guards in front of God and also an incredibly large crowd of people, burn it down. And Phoebus is like, holy shit. If I was playing a D&D campaign and a DM did this, I'd be like, hold up. Let's take a time out. This is a bit much. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing the red card here. Uh, we need to take five. <laughs> Maybe talk about this. We- <laughs> so 
uh, obviously, so the 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 captain of the guard says no. Frollo burns it down himself, and Phoebus is like, "I'm jumping into that fire. I'm saving this family. Mm-hmm. I, my name means sun god. These flames can't touch me." Uh, and they don't, but the arrow sure does. <laughs> so yeah, he um, thanks to a, a little uh, thanks to a, a good thrown stone by Esmeralda, um, Phoebus manages to make his escape, but unfortunately gets pelted pretty good by an arrow and falls into a river outside of Paris. I know this river, but I can't think of the name right now. I I don't. It, it was it the Seine. I think it's the Seine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so she has to like fish him out of the river. Somehow in this scene, she has not been noticed. Pretty incredible, actually. And in the next scene, we see that basically Paris is on fire. It's not just this mill. It is Paris. Shit like this is why France has had so many revolutions. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, we do get the the actual worst song of the movie. Ah, here we go. This, this, I have never, I have never in my life watched a musical that ground to a halt this bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of a song, except for maybe Frozen. We're not talking about Frozen right now, man. This song is the fixer-upper of this movie. Uh, uh, Fixer-upper is a better song than this. It's true. I'm not, and, and... Maybe that's the bar, but, like, Fixer Upper is not a very good song, but there's kind of a point to having that song in the movie. This mm-hmm. song, there is no point to having this song in the movie. To the, 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 what the gargoyles are saying in this song is that Esmeralda will definitely fall for Quasimodo because... <laughs> Normal-looking people look boring, and Quasimodo looks interesting. He looks like a croissant. They do not even get into Quasimodo as a person, or even Phoebus as a person, or Esmeralda as a person. They basically just talk about how being hot isn't all that it's cracked up to be, and Quasimodo looks good anyway. And it means nothing, because also the next scene... After they have built up Quasimodo for no reason, for he no gets reason. to walk in on a romantic scene between Esmeralda and Phoebus. And, like, why? Why did why did they set this up so that this could happen? This is the most egregious <sighs> thing. It's, one, this song sucks. This song sucks so bad. That's, I, okay, I, so that's the other thing, is... The fixer upper song is just is just not good, right? This song is also not good. It's just on top of that, the like lyrics are wild. Why 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 is this the message we're getting? I <laughs> but also if this song's not good, it's important. It does not bop. I can't even think of the music to this song. I can't No, it's so it's, bad. It's it doesn't stay in my brain. <laughs> Currently Hellfire is playing in my head. <laughs> I, I, yeah, same. I, I, this song was so bad. And like, and also you're right. Like it, it sets up the, what is possibly the cruelest scene of the movie. Unnecessarily cruel. I does get, um, God, my favorite thing is a, um, is a reprise that nobody else hears. Uh, yeah. But it is a very cruel reprise that Quasimodo has of, um, Heaven's Light. Yes. Where he sings about how he 
He's not worthy of love. He's he he doesn't get to have heaven's light. So we get this song. There is one line in this song that I really like. It's the fir- it's I think the first line of the song, or it's one of the first lines of the song, where um, Jason Alex and also part of it is just because Jason Alexander delivers it very well, where he says, um, uh-huh. "Uh huh, something is burning in Paris. True, that's because it's on fire, but there's also l'amour." Yeah. So here's the thing. This is this is your first time watching this movie. Yeah. I had no patience for the gargoyles in this movie because it's not the first time I've watched it because I That's knew fair. I would hate every scene with the gargoyles at all. And I I think I gave them the best shake I could. And they're bad characters. Uh, I think the thing that really gets me about the gargoyles is that I can see historically how you get from this movie to Hercules... And the choice of, oh, these gargoyle side characters are annoying. And so in Hercules, we're going to make them the villain's sidekick. And also, that's interesting because it does work in Hercules. Partially because Hades gets to, like, torture him. Um, yeah. It's interesting because these came out, yeah, at around the same time. And you can really see the connective tissue, even though they are... Not the same at all. And both of these are, I feel like, really underrated Disney movies because they're not, like, the really big ones. No, I mean, it's it's hard. This is the era of, of The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, right? I just, I think these movies are very overshadowed. Yeah, we're at, like, the latter end of the Renaissance now. Oh, yeah. And so... Quasimodo is like waiting for waiting for Esmeralda to come back because she said she would and she does but she has a a real fucked up Phoebus in tow and not fucked up in the way he'd like to be um Uh uh-huh oh Quasimodo actually chased Phoebus out of Notre Dame earlier because he came looking for Esmeralda because he hadn't realized she escaped and so Quasimodo oh oh and that was a great scene too that's a great scene they had this big, like, face-to-face, like, standoff, and then it zooms out, and Quasimodo has been lifting Phoebus off of his feet this whole time. Four feet uh, off the stairs, and, like, uh, that mo- that moment is when I went from, like, fucking, like, th- that moment, I like Phoebus as, like, a character, I just hate what he represents, right? Sure, That absolutely. moment where Phoebus, where Phoebus turns around and says, by the way... Tell Esmeralda that she's lucky to have a friend like you. I was like, why the fuck does this movie not give us the romance (laughs) it clearly wants to have? Yeah. But I really like when they were having the showdown. Phoebus was like, okay. Can can you put put me down? down? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really great. And then, and then, and it's weird. The movie does not seem to like Phoebus that much either. Because even though, even though he got to have this heroic scene where he saved the people from the fire and Esmeralda had to save him and drag him to Quasimodo to be patched up, this next scene is exclusively Quasimodo beating the shit out of Phoebus <laughs> in 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 a slapstick way because he has to hide him. But like he has to hide him. I we've been beating around the bush for a while now. But like Esmeralda yes. is like tending to Phoebus, and they start they start making out like like pretty intensely. <laughs> it's a I would argue not the time, but whatever. Not you, the you time. Guys do you. 
I mean, but adrenaline's and, high. I get it. And while this is happening, right? Like Quasimodo is singing his reprise and crying, mm-hmm. like, and it's like again, it's so much for my children's movie. And and this is what I'm talking about too. Is Quasimodo is way nicer than anybody has any has have. <laughs> He is nicer than anybody has the right to ask him to be. He sees this and then helps patch up Phoebus. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, my man Phoebus is is up for Mackin, like ready to make <laughs> out. And then the moment Esmeralda leaves, he is like a helpless, unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is actually this is one more problem with the language of this movie. This movie does not know what a dead body looks like. And what I mean is, Phoebus is, as far as the movie is concerned, basically dead for this next scene. And at yep. the end of that scene, he stands up and walks out of the He walks out. He walks <laughs> out. This arrow almost pierced his heart and he gets up and walks out. I don't even know why he got up and walked out because the next scene would have been just as good or better if Quasimodo had to like, you know, like walk, carry him uh, through it. Like he could have been leading on the whole time. I would have loved it if he carried um, Phoebus out of the cathedral the same way he carried Esmeralda out. Right. And and Phoebus could have a line where he's like, is this how you treat all your guests? (laughs) Quasimodo would be like, uh, yeah? <laughs> like, yeah. So far, there's been two. Two. <laughs> it's either this or the stairs, man. Come on. Or it would have been great, yeah, if, if they decided they had to sneak out, and it didn't even do that whole scene. It just did, like, the end of the scene. <laughs> so that you know exactly what happens. Anyway. So, this next scene, Esmeralda leaves. Because she doesn't want to be stuck back in here again. And it's not particularly safe. The one person in the guard who wasn't going to arrest her is not in the guard anymore. That's true. I, I do think it's kind of ridiculous that the, the, the big reason that they give is like, oh, uh, uh, Romani people don't like being encased in stone. Anyway, here's our secret hideout underneath the catacombs of Paris. The underneath most the encased in stone. <laughs> so over the course of the movie we've been told that the that that um truants and beggars and criminals all of them and and, and uh anybody basically who is uh considered to be scum under the eyes of the law yep. have a they have a secret hideaway that they call the court of miracles at some point esmeralda gives quasimodo this like woven band that is it's a it's a clearly it's clearly a map of paris but i it this is the 1400s maps are hard to come by i don't think people really understand what maps are so it's fine right i believe that she gave it to him in the last scene they were together when he helped her escape and she said something like if you need to find me i think she says something like if this place stops being your sanctuary which is a really good choice of words Mm mm-hmm so this scene happens where Frollo shows up. Frollo has the basically that the opening scene breakfast thing, but it's dinner now. Uh, and Frollo knows that, or he suspects that Quasimodo is in contact with Esmeralda because he can't see any other way Esmeralda could have escaped the church. Meanwhile, 
what Quasimodo is trying to hide is that the captain of the guard who just betrayed Frollo is under this table. Uh, so he does stuff like kick him in the face when he starts to move, that kind of thing. Real it's fun good. scene. This is a great scene. I've talked about before, like the 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 movies like tension with like slapstick comedy and like truly dark themes i think this is mm-hmm. the only scene where it plays out pretty this much really as intended yeah yeah here's the problem i have with this scene quasimodo should fall for this taunt what frollo mm-hmm. tells him is i know where the court of miracles is tomorrow morning i'm going to bring a thousand soldiers and destroy it and we'll get her don't worry quasimodo and this is when i realized that Phoebus had gone to Himbo finishing school. My man. Because this is when Phoebus just stands up and is like, well, he's going to the Court of Miracles. I better go warn them. Now, my dude, you are a soldier. (laughs) There are so many flaws with this idea. The number one being that you don't know where it is. He doesn't know where it is. Quasimodo should fall for this because he has a reason to trust Frollo. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a reason to like Frollo, but Frollo raised him. He taught him the ways of the world as he sees them. Frollo did not lie to Quasimodo about the ways of the world either. This is He just tells Quasimodo what he himself sees the world as. He, mm-hmm. as far as I know, has never lied to Quasimodo. Phoebus again, is a soldier and should have seen a very obvious ploy like this coming. Yeah, like this is 101. This is the most basic move you can do. He thinks that Quasimodo knows where the Court of Miracles is and is going to follow him. It is not hard to figure out, which is which is basically what happens. Uh, Quasimodo figures out that map and leads them to the Court of Miracles. This... Is my second least favorite song in the movie. Oh, by the by, I don't think in the Paris catacombs, the skeletons are just like out and about. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think they used to be. skeletons are like around. Yeah, but I mean, like, did a wall collapse and spit them all out onto the floor? Because they're everywhere. I, I genuinely don't know that much about the Paris catacombs, but... Or are they like that so that the Romani can disguise themselves as them? Because they do that. <laughs> they do do that, and it's a it's a little much. It's um, a lot, again, for this G-rated children's movie. Quasimodo and Phoebus get ambushed by uh, Clopin and the his, his band of scallywags. Okay, they have found the Court of Miracles. We get a song Yay. called The Court of Miracles, about the Court nice. of Miracles, and how they are going to be killed for finding it so that they can't tell yep. anybody else. Here's yep. our problem. Clopin, who knows who Quasimodo mm-hmm. is. Knows who he is, knows how he got there. And is planning on kill- is still planning on killing him. Now, mm-hmm. maybe I could accept this. Okay, there are two ways I could accept this. Obviously, the first one is having the Clopin at the beginning and end of the movie be different from the one in the movie. Maybe have give him a pair of spectacles so you know time has passed. Or have him in a different place that's not Paris. Or like, yeah, just make it very clear. Even at the end, even at the end, just like have Quasimodo be there. Be like, oh, obviously this is after all this stuff. But instead, they don't. Here's the other way I could have accepted this. I could have accepted it 
if he was sad about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, but he's so excited. But he's- the other person who is Bugs Bunny in this movie. <laughs> this guy is so fucking horned up for murder. It's bananas. He ties their mouths up. He dresses as a judge and executioner. He asks them to defend themselves and they can't because he's tied their mouths up and he finds this hilarious. It's just... At one point, he pulls out his fucking hand puppet to object and it's like, my guy... (laughs) My guy, can you not show me an ounce of respect at my execution? (laughs) And... And he even calls them innocent, which is the worst crime of all, which I do love, but is not the time to be saying that. Not Uh, the time. And here's what here's what really made me upset about it is it makes the Romani people look as much or more bloodthirsty as the white people of the guard. Right. Uh, As the guard. Yes. And that should not be what I'm seeing. That should not be the message of this. I think what I would have preferred or what I would have liked, because the way that the scene culminates is that Esmeralda shows up and is like, why would you try to kill these people? They're our friends. Don't you remember how this guy saved a, a kid and his family? And also, don't you remember Quasimodo at being all mean? Here's here's the other thing about it is, as I was watching, I was like, okay, so did Esmeralda actually just not tell these people about Phoebus and Quasi because if I if it was the end of the fucking day I had just dropped off my boyfriend at the church so that he could have some sanctuary to hopefully not die in I would go home and I would be like guys I have had a day (laughs) let me tell you about it you cannot imagine (laughs) But apparently she hasn't done this. This is the first time that they are hearing of the huge shakeup in the palace guard or in the, um, I guess, Parisian guard. I don't don't know what they are the guard of exactly. Yeah, just the gendarme. It's wild. This scene is too wild for me. And the the thing is, is that they could have they could have easily saved it. Like, I think they could have turned it around if instead of Esmeralda coming in and like, having to save them, he pulls the lever and nothing happens. And he's that like, all right, we're great. just messing with you. Yes, if, the, <laughs> this if, is just if it was. Because, because just he say plays hi. it like it's all a joke. And if it was all a joke, that would be the funniest fucking scene. I would have loved it. I'd be like, this asshole. And then I would know who Clopin is. He's an asshole. <laughs> he's an That's agent of fine. chaos. He's like He's like a good joker. Yeah, I mean he's he he has some like Loki energy in this movie, um, and that's fine. I would love that, except that it, instead it comes off as he is like three different people. He is like the storyteller. He is he is the the person who is running the the festival of fools, and he's the king of truants. And it's not clear which one you're gonna meet. You know. Yeah. I could shake this man's hand and die three different ways. Like, (laughs) so, but Esmeralda doesn't save them for long because Frollo immediately shows up like, here I am evil and such. He arrests her and Phoebus. Phoebus. Um, 
I was going to say plebis, but that's that means people in in Latin, I think. Um, he does arrest a lot of people, actually. He does arrest a lot of people. But in this scene, I think he only takes Esmeralda and Phoebus and he leaves everyone else there. Does he? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he doesn't like he doesn't arrest Clopin. Is he? No, he's in a cage later, right? Doesn't he have to be broken out to be? No, Phoebus is. Well, I know Phoebus is, but I thought Phoebus, when the people rose up, they broke out the Romani. That's right. I forgot about that. I thought those were just all the people he had been arresting up until that point, though. I mean, maybe it's also them. <laughs> Presumably that fire is going to be on for a while. Yeah. Um, so the he sets up a little mock court right out in front of Notre Dame because, again, Frollo just doesn't. He shows such contempt. <laughs> And he breeds off uh, Esmeralda's crimes, and he's going to, oh, and he asks her one last time if she wants to just be with him instead. She spits in his face. Fair. Hell yeah. And meanwhile, Quasimodo is chained up, and this scene, again, if you've ever listened to or watched the musical, is done a lot better there. They clean it up a bit. Um, <laughs> it's, I will say... The ending of this movie is, I think, the sloppiest thing. Um, <laughs> but this scene of Quasimodo chained up in the bell tower of 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 the cathedral has to be the most ham-fisted metaphor I have ever seen. I just... Okay, so here's what it is. Is they don't spend any time on it. No. They spend no time on it. And the gargoyles are like, Quasimodo, you gotta break free. And he's just like, leave me alone. And they are immediately like, oh, leave you alone. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I th- we thought that we were made of stone, but you were made of something stronger. And it's like, stronger. guys, you, you cannot. They took that line and put it in the musical. And it's like one of the best songs in the musical. But in this movie... They spend no time on it. It's just like a dumb thing they say, the joke characters say, who have been making dumb jokes this whole time and will continue to make dumb jokes for the rest of this movie. This is not like a turn where they're serious now. Uh, right. And here's here's the other thing. I was talking about how it would work, it would work better at the musical. It would have also worked better if he'd kept the fucking bird. If the bird was his sidekick character and was like squawking at him or pecking at him to get out and he was like, go away. And then the bird flew away. It would, it would have been perfect. But Instead, they have these fucking gargoyles who are determined to ruin every scene they're in. Uh, oh. it's, it is it is a fucking... Every time these gargoyles are on screen, it is like a speed run to how quickly this scene can be can lose all of its nuance. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't know that this line was in the musical. I did write down the... If, uh, we're only made of stone. Uh, we just thought you'd be uh-huh. made of something stronger because I was like, this is such a good line for them to just throw it away. <laughs> good line delivered really poorly. So in the musical, I'll, I'll run it down really quickly. In the musical, what makes this scene work is one, it's the saints instead of the gargoyles, right? These saints have been like giving him advice and telling him what to do the whole show. And he is suddenly like, how come none of your advice has helped? How come it's all led to this? And what do you even know about me? You're just made of stone. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like facing them down about it. And that's what they say. You're right. We are. Yeah. We thought you were made of something stronger. And it's so great. This scene as played and written here is, I don't think it's the worst scene of the film, but it's sort of like how you were talking about with um, God Help the Outcasts. I think mm-hmm. I really hate this scene because it's almost good. It's almost good. It's like almost something, but instead it just falls apart for me. Uh, because of these damn gargoyles who will continue to undercut the siege of Notre Dame. <laughs> the climax of this movie is one of the most heavy metal things I've ever seen. And then they'll cut to these gargoyles doing their fucking Looney Tunes bullshit. And it's like, we're done with the Looney Tunes bullshit right now. <laughs> That's This is this is what I'm saying about the slapstick, right? Is that it's it, 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 I feel like it's like a cancer in this movie. Like every time it happens, I'm like, we come on, guys. The one the one bit I really liked, the one bit that I really liked is when they construct a catapult put a rock in it, and then they just drop it on top of some dudes. What, what was bad about it was it fell down, and and they're like, oh, is that how it should have worked? Well, it works for me. Like, it's too quippy. It's like, I... I just just I, do the joke and move on. Stop spending so much time. No, I, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Meanwhile, Quasimodo, meanwhile, like, drops hot lead down. <laughs> this guy, there is a shot in this movie, and it makes no sense, but, like, there is molten glass and lead pouring out of the parapets of Notre Dame. And it's so fucking cool. Yeah, it is amazing. It's, uh, it is so intense. And, oh, and even just the bit where, like, when he, when Quasimodo does tear out of his, um, his chains, he's, like, throwing stones down at them. And he swings in, like, Tarzan... There's a point where he, like, picks up this massive wooden beam like he's yes. fucking um, in Le Mis. And he, he throttles, like, four guards with it. And it's just, Fuck. like, this is what is great about this scene is it's the moment where Quadibodo's, like, this far, no further. Yeah, he, th- this is, the like, the the line. Um, and again, it, it's, this is, this is, like, not just a fight for Esmeralda's life, it's a fight for the heart of Paris. Right, yes, because, like I said before, Esmeralda is the soul of this movie, and so it is yeah, It is fighting for, like, <laughs> the, it's fighting for the soul of Paris, like, how is, however this goes will fundamentally change what the city looks like. And she's, like, unconscious, he's lifting her up and bellowing sanctuary, uh, that that scene should have been more effective. I did find it a little hammy. <laughs> it was a little hammy, but I actually think at this moment, Quasimodo was allowed to be a little hammy. And again, if the gargoyles weren't there, it would have worked. <laughs> I, I I also think uh, that, again, like Fe- Phoebus at this point breaks out and like does a speech. Quasimodo should have had that speech. Yeah, the speech is pretty lame to because here's here is my problem with the speech somebody has to have been on furlough's side some yep. of the people of paris are racist <laughs> yep but everybody seems to be like no we're, we've been ready for this from the jump we 
yeah, we just needed a charismatic white guy to tell us to go. Yeah, it's like, so what, how did this happen if none of you were into it? You know, that was kind of my issue with that. Uh, it also doesn't amount to much, too, because Quasimodo is basically single-handedly fighting off this siege. I don't think the people do very much about it. It's a really cool scene that is undercut on at, at every other... <laughs> Uh, like, every other part of the scene, it undercuts itself, which is the worst. But there's a lot of good stuff in it. Well, and the, the good thing that we get out of it is the final confrontation between Frollo and uh, Quasimodo. This is... This is... Hold up. This is the second time that the movie does not know when somebody is dead. Continue, please. Yes. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, yes. <laughs> I just wanted to point it out, because as I thought about it, it started to bother me more that, like... Esmeralda, we are told, is dead in this scene, and she straight up just isn't. This is the this is the least <laughs> this is the the least amount of work. I literally he was like, no, she's dead, and I was like, no, she fucking isn't. Put some glass <laughs> under her nose, man. Like, come on. Yeah, like give it a shot, Quasimodo. Okay, sorry, keep going. This this confrontation. Th- this movie, I think, has is like constantly in my brain was constantly flip flopping. Like, do I like this movie or do I hate this movie? And mm-hmm. if if they had fucked up this confrontation, I would have hated this movie. Yes, but I think they do a good enough job with it. I do not. I, I think they. I think they drop the ball at the end. But this confrontation is good. Frollo starts making his way into the cathedral. The archdeacon makes his final appearance to be like, "No, please don't do this," and. Frollo just tosses him off the stairs, killing him instantly, I assume. He gets, he makes his way up to, uh, up to the stairs where Quasimodo is crying over Esmeralda because he thinks she's dead. She's not. This moment is so good where he starts to comfort Quasimodo. Yes. Now things can go back to the way they were. It had to be done. It was my duty. Yeah, I had to do this. You don't know how hard it is to be me. And then he like straight up pulls up a dagger and is like, just he's just going to kill. He's just going to kill this guy. He's just going to kill Quasimodo. Uh And Quasimodo sees the knife in the shadows and just immediately like turns around and disarms him. Uh, This is, I believe, the last time it will it will play with it. But Quasimodo is very strong. (laughs) He's very strong. He also... Should have just I, if this was a if this was not a movie made for children, he would have just killed him here. And I think that would have been a good end. But this is a movie for children. So our hero can't go around murdering people with knives. No, um, I again, I do think that the fact that they both fall is not bad and could have done could have been done a little bit better to make it great. Um, I do like again. Frollo and Quasimodo both fall off of Notre Dame. Frollo grabs a gargoyle's head. I guess it's a gargoyle. What's what's the ones? What are the ones that are also drains? Do they have a different name? No, I think they're just called gargoyles. But maybe let me check. I think they have a different name, but I don't know which is which. It doesn't matter really. The gargoyle comes alive and like growls at him mm-hmm. as it breaks off and he falls into the fire below. That is a really good scene because you know that this is Frollo, like, fearing for hell. Yes. Because that is what's in his head. 
Mm-hmm. And it could have been done better if it were clear to us that the gargoyles did not have their own, like, lives. I, I also think, I, I, I shouldn't say this, it's a little cartoonish, but in, like, a bad way, where, like, the gargoyle's head just, it just snarls at him, and he just is like, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and like I don't know, I I didn't. I think what should have happened is he should have let go, right? Out of, um, I think right. what I would have wanted is I would have wanted all of the um, all of the statues that we saw at the beginning of the movie making their comeback and him letting go out of fear of their judgment again. Because this movie has done so well pairing what is happening with Frollo to what is happening with Quasimodo. Yeah. Quasimodo should have been saved by Notre Dame. Yes. And Frollo should have been killed by Notre Dame. Yes. That's what should have happened. Instead, Phoebus catches Quasimodo. And the only thing I like about that moment is it's very clear in that moment that Quasimodo is a heavy dude. He's, like, very dense. Like, it looks like Phoebus is about to fall over the edge, grabbing him. Again, there's a real good physicality in this movie. Yes. But, yeah, I do wish that a statue had, like, like... I just kept thinking of, like, an outstretched hand, like, catching Quasimodo, like, by the shirt or something. Yeah. Anyway, then it wraps up, like, real quick. Yeah, we wrap up in, like, a minute. It's, like, like, uh, Mm -hmm. Quasimodo, um, makes, um, Phoebus and Esmeralda hold hands, so that's how you know they're together now. Yeah, he, like, puts their hands together, like, you're married, this is a church. This is a church, and (laughs) I live here, so I'm, like, I I can do that. And then they walk outside. It basically counts. (laughs) They walk outside and everybody's cheering, but then they're like, oh, no, that guy's ugly. Um, like, that's the, like, that's the biggest of their problems at this moment. And this little girl walks up to him. In a scene that, again, almost works. But it just, the movie hasn't earned this. No, I actually wouldn't have minded this scene earlier if then we could have lived with that scene existing for a yeah, little Yeah, for bit. a little bit. But... Instead, it's like, this is our wrap-up scene. Is this little girl who we don't know, we haven't met. This little girl is nobody. Just walks up and, like, touches his face. (laughs) The little girl might be in the next movie, for all I know. Oh, God, I hope Uh, not. And in what kind of works, shows human acceptance of Quasimodo as who he is. I just feel like this should have happened sooner, though, is the thing, right? Yeah, probably. Probably. So... Uh, everybody cheers. Um, Clopin wraps up his little story to the little girl with his uh, with his little puppets. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Oh man, who knows? What could it be? And then it's just over. We end on a really one last gorgeous Vista shot, and then we're done. Ah, uh, uh-huh, we don't actually, because there's that Vista shot. Then the gargoyles get the last word. Oh fuck while yeah, you're right. The- you're right. That, that's the thing. That fully, that last shot fully sums up what the gargoyles are like in this movie. They just, they take. Just like ruining beautiful scenes. Tainting it with their presence. Can I read you something real quick? Yeah. I am on the villain wikia. <laughs> okay. I want to read you the powers slash skills of Judge Claude Frello. Oh my God. Hey, was, was. The Hunchback of Notre Dame ever in uh, Kingdom Hearts? It was. It was in the worst one. It was in Dream Drop sequence. Oh, man. Dream uh, Drop distance. For reasons... Yes. for Because it's three Ds. Yes. Right? For reasons that are not explained, Frollo dies twice. <laughs> nice. Hella. 
awesome. Like, you know how the, the, the plot of that is that there are two, like, you're supposed to be seeing two sides of this story, right? You're supposed to be seeing it from one protagonist and the other protagonist, but he dies both times. Oh, nice. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's so dumb that that, God, I hate that one. <laughs> Let me read you his powers slash skills. Authority over the French Justice Court. Nice, that's a Command pretty good Command over one. the soldiers of Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fighting skills. High intelligence, intimidation, manipulation, persuasion, surprising strength, <laughs> and swordsmanship. <laughs> hobby. I also like the hobbies. Hunting down Romani. <laughs> it's his hobby. <laughs> Torturing prisoners. <laughs> Punishing and abusing Quasimodo. <laughs> I feel like... These are these aren't hobbies. I hobbies is like you know, it's, uh, lem, like singing in front of a fireplace is a hobby. <laughs> Genocide is not I'm a gonna, hobby. That's a career choice. I'm gonna go into goals real quick. Oh great! Find the court of miracles. Yeah. Succeeded. <laughs> Wipe out the robotic population in Paris. Succeeded for a while. Does it say that? It does. It says succeeded for a while. <laughs> <laughs> keep Quasimodo in the bell tower of Notre Dame. Find Esmeralda, f- uh, find to keep Esmeralda for herself for himself, or kill her. Kill Quasimodo, Esmeralda, Captain Phoebus, anyone who gets in his way. All failed. Nice. Well, you know. One more. One more. Uh, crimes. Crimes. Ethnic persecution. Nice. Murder. Uh huh. Mass murder. Yeah. Heavily implied. Attempted genocide, mm-hmm. attempted infanticide, yes, corruption, torture, abuse of power, domestic abuse, crimes against humanity, yeah, and gaslighting. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I love the way these wikis are written. They're the best. What is his alignment evil? <laughs> type of bi- type of villain, perverted fanatic. Uh, oh man. You know what? This one doesn't have alignment. What? That is a shame. That is a shame because I would love for it to be confirmed that he's lawful evil. <laughs> I am. Wow. No alignment. Yeah. Fro, uh, Frollo, true neutral. <laughs> y- you can't you can't you can't put an alignment on that guy. I know. I, I feel like we've been talking about this movie for a really long time. This movie does have a pretty extensive <laughs> oral history, but I don't want to get into it just because, again, we, I feel We're like. At- Two and a half hours. hours. Exactly. As we, as we, as we look at the timer. So maybe for the next one, because I feel like we're not going to have as much to talk about. I can go a little bit into. Probably not. I bet you it's a lot less meaty. Yeah. I bet you will just be like, this one was bad. Um, I genuinely don't know how we're going to get a sequel to this fucking movie, but. I would, I would make a safe bet that Quasimodo gets a girlfriend. Oh man, here's here's to hoping. The guy, the guy is a he's a he's a keeper. So, if you were writing a sequel, wouldn't you give him a love interest, Tony? I would have given him a love interest in the first movie. <laughs> like, I know, Andy, <laughs> but you in this scenario are in Australia. <laughs> oh right, okay. Uh, no, actually, I I don't know because I uh, I just I think it would be weird, you know. <clears throat> oh, Andy. It's gonna be weird. I just I I because uh. I feel like no matter what you do, you don't. I I feel like the thing that I don't want is the vibe of Pocahontas two. Oh, I love Pocahontas two. Where though. where there where this it's like oh yeah, and also the love interest from the first movie is just hanging around, just here. 
Uh, but that's kind of the vibe of of Hunchback. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I I am not excited for what for what this is gonna be. You have any final thoughts on this movie? I, hmm. I think I like it. There's like seventy percent of a good movie here. I think on on the virtue of how beautiful it is. I think I agree with you, but also I think that like this movie has had its renaissance. I think that more so than its than its neighbors, because um, Hercules came out right after this movie, and this came out right after Pocahontas. I think this movie has kind of stood the test of time a little bit more, and I get why. I get why people are obsessed with this movie. Um, I I don't think I would have liked it. <laughs> this is a movie that, in some ways, feels good to come back to as an adult. Yeah. Hercules is a kids movie for kids, which is fine and mm-hmm. probably the right move in general. <laughs> yeah. When you're making a kids movie. <laughs> like I said, I, I get why people are obsessed with it. I don't think I don't think it's gonna rank that high for me. Quasimodo's characterization, the 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 relationship between him and Frollo is does so much to like raise this movie up above like almost everything else that comes out after it. I don't think we get a Disney movie that hits these highs until Lilo and Stitch, which is in 2002. <laughs> yeah, because that's the next one that will try to do something that other Disney movies don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to say, if you look up this on Wikipedia, the promotional poster has Quasimodo in that fucking bird. And it makes me so mad because somebody else was like, this bird should be the sidekick. I promise you somebody else thought that <laughs> and got shot down. I feel like, We've been in like a real deluge of of like shitty movie posters recently. I feel like every time I see the movie posters for these old Disney animated films, I'm like, "Oh man, we just don't do this anymore." Like this is a no. this movie poster is a painting. It is gorgeous. You have like Paris and the Seine and the bells. It's just like such a good like this is what you're going to get out of this movie and I have not seen a good like I just don't see good posters anymore. I think it's tragic. Thank you for listening to Direct to Video. VHS? VHS? I have been your host, Henry Busto. I have been your host, Andy Reyes. You can find me on Twitter at TheaterBets or at InspiredByTrueEvents.org. And you can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Valens. You can also find me at my other podcast, Time Honored Pictures. We're on a, a bit of a hiatus because life's just a little too crazy right now. Yeah, that's why we haven't released anything for like two months. That Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, um, it, life never it be stopping. So, you know, and like, and, you know, we're doing this out of the out of the out of the kindness of our hearts. <laughs> so look, if you want to give us money, go for uh, it. Go for it. Uh, Reach out. Let me know. Hand me a 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm on PayPal. Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. What was the last time honored pictures? I think the last one was Gone with the Wind. No, it was Rebecca. Was it Rebecca? Oh, Rebecca was great. I'll tell you what. I know that film, but I did not know the name of it, and I've never seen it. I just know, like, the tropes of that film. So it was fascinating to listen to that one. Uh, Okay, what were we talking about? You can find more stuff for the podcast at directu.video. Yep. And you can rate it wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you to Lee Rosevere for Planet E off the album Trappist One. Mm-hmm. And join us next time. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be watching The Hunchback of Notre Dame Two. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, we are. It's gonna be great. 
I'm gonna real quick. I'm still on Wikipedia. Look just at gonna, that cover. Just gonna go. Yeah, I'm just gonna just gonna just gonna see oh. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Those, I two. can see those, those fucking gargoyles are right there on the top of this poster. Do you think that's the same kid or a different kid? It might be a different I, kid. I think this is a different kid. There is a full-grown woman, though. <laughs> There's a woman in the background. Is that a love interest? Oh man. oh, man. And this bell behind him is not nearly as good as the bells at the foreground at the other one. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. That, well, the, this bell behind him, I think, if you look inside, is also the window I on the south end. I don't know. Critical reception was mostly negative. Oh, oh yeah. no. <laughs> Ah, uh, I am the ghost of John Smith. Ooh. In the book, this is a thing that I, I kind of I, I found kind of weird, right? Because this whole story takes place in the city of Paris, and there's a pretty major player who lives in the city of Paris, and his name is the King of All France, Mister France. He is like literally, literally the French palace is like just down the road. What's he thinking about all this? I mean, I don't know how all kings of France were, but some of the ones I learned about basically just stayed in the castle. Uh, Didn't really matter to them what was happening outside as long as they got their uh, feasts. (laughs) It would have been nice to have Frollo like placating him. Although maybe that would have made him a little bit too much like uh, Ratcliffe. Yeah, that's, I think that's, I, I do think there's no room. Like the book, The Hunchback of, of, of Notre Dame is really long. So it's able to get into these tangents. I don't actually yes. need the movie to let me know what the King of France is doing. But <laughs> I find it humorous to imagine this king just like looking at the balcony like, oh, Paris is burning again. Huh. It'd be like if somebody was burning down Washington, D.C., and the president had nothing to say about it. He was, just, he was just like, listen, I'm busy. I gotta think about the rest of France. <laughs> Pre- presidents will appear in our movies at the drop of a hat. 